0: Hello and welcome to the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is episode 58, which is exciting. And my name is Ben Olson. I'm hosting today. And with me is Nathan Fox in San Francisco. I'm in San Francisco. Yes. Cool. Are you cool. in Washington, D.C.? Yes, as always. And it's actually very cold here today. It's like 45 or something. Or Jesus. It was it's yeah. supposed to be 80 today
1: in San Francisco.
0: Wow, and that's pretty hot, isn't it? Because usually it's kind of cool. No, yeah, that's unusually hot for San Francisco. Wow. So when it's hot, what do you do?
1: My plan today, um, I am going to actually go to the local pool and swim laps. Okay. (laughs) You know, I had back surgery not too long ago, and uh, part of my rehab has been swimming. So I've gotten into lap swimming recently.
0: Wow. How fast can you do 50 yards?
1: It's a 25-meter pool. Oh, it's meters? Yeah, and I have no idea. I don't know. I don't keep track. I just try to swim for half hour and not drown.
0: That's all I try I'll to be, do. <laughs> don't drown. Yeah, please don't drown. Um, well, if you ever are inclined, I'd be curious how fast you swim it, and then I can try to beat it. Are you? You? I'm sure you just smash me. Do you swim regularly? Maybe. No, maybe not. No, I don't. I used to. Um, oh, okay. I used to do swim team, but I, uh, have not done that for a while. And then I was swimming for a while and then I just, you know, you get in and out of things. And so I'm out of it right now. But if you swam sometime, I might be, I might feel compelled to try to beat that time. So I could come on here and say that. <laughs>
1: I would be perfectly happy to just forfeit right off the bat and tell you that anyone who has ever swam on a swim team is going to swim faster than I swim. Yeah. My, I mean, my goal in swimming laps is just to go slowly enough that i can continue swimming because you know it's like when i went i had i did all the swim lessons and stuff when i was a kid but coming back to like trying to swim as an adult that shit's tiring you get really tired in like five minutes i was the first time i did it i was like really really tired in like five minutes and then the obvious thing was just dude you're going too fast you know you're basically sprinting and you just need to need to slow your roll way down so that you can find a pace. Now I can pretty comfortably get in the pool and just swim for 30 minutes without stopping. And so that's, you know, that's a step in the right direction.
0: Yeah. No, it's a good exercise. Low impact, too.
1: Oh, it feels awesome. I don't know why I didn't do it earlier in life because it's just, yeah, there's something delightful about it. It does feel like really good exercise, but it's, like you say, it's low impact. It's not like if you go for a run, you know, <laughs> when you're 40, mm-hmm. Like I am yeah. – you go for a run and then you – like your joints are just all fucked up for the next three days and swimming,
0: yeah, you have none of those side effects. So, Well, sorry. I don't mean to go on too much of a tangent here but I do have to say uh, and people might hate this – hate me for saying this but I have – you know, on Facebook you have friends who are like, oh, I just ran this marathon and I'm, I always think to myself, I'm like that is just not something I want to do because it's not like – the longer you run, the more healthy you get. I feel like there are serious uh, side effects to running a marathon that are not necessarily good. It's great that they accomplish some goal, but I, I I feel like there's this feeling out there that like if you can do that, you've reached the epitome of health. And I feel like yeah, but at pretty good cost to other health. Like your knees and stuff like no, that. No,
1: I feel like your body is actually starting to break down when you're running 20 plus miles. I mean, yeah. it's supposed to be really bad on your knees, really bad on all of your joints. You're just pounding on the pavement over and over and over. Some asshole is going to write in and be like, oh, barefoot running doesn't have any of those bad effects." <laughs> <sacrifice." laughs> Save it. We don't want to hear it about your barefoot running. Just remember um, the guy who started it died. So. <laughs> nice. The other thing is um, my favorite thing about marathons is the nipple bleeding part. Oh, excuse me? I've never heard of that. And you just freaked me out. (laughs) So this could be just total bullshit, but I believe this to be true because I heard it somewhere and it sounds (laughs) legit to me. Apparently, (laughs) runners, I think there are countermeasures that can be employed, um, like lubricants and... (laughs) guards and stuff but apparently runners your shirt just and i'm thinking of dudes i'm not thinking of girls i'm thinking of dudes but your shirt from the 26 miles of just kind of lightly bouncing up and down oh my gosh yeah it, yeah okay it, it can actually make your nipples raw and start start bleeding all right <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, that, that's good to know. Okay, so I was convinced that it was bad. Now I'm really convinced.
1: Yeah. Doesn't um, that sound horrible? That doesn't happen when you're swimming. No.
0: <laughs> Just so you know. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. That's good stuff. I, I'm, I'll, to wrap this up, I'll be curious if you tell me your times on the swim um okay i may or may not actually do that i tell you what i will
1: count my laps i'll try to count my laps today oh and then okay. i'll just divide by 30 minutes
0: or whatever and then we'll we'll, we'll figure it out figure it out from there cool yeah. so today we got some interesting stuff we have some really important notes about scholarships a lot of people have questions about negotiating scholarships, what they should think about as they're considering them. Um, So Nathan has two really good points about that we need to discuss. The second thing is the LSAC has come out with a new photo requirement. You're now uploading your photos as opposed to printing them out yourself, which is interesting. Uh, You will end up printing them out as well, but uh, we need to talk about that. Then we talked about the law student who had been suing her law school. And I don't know that there's much to say here except that she lost. So her law school will not be paying her any money for their deceptive practices, at least according to her. And um, then we'll be going over uh, LSAC fee waivers. In other words, getting uh, taking the LSAT for free and the cost of applying to law school. And then, of course, we'll be going over a logical reasoning question from the June 2007 LSAT. Um, Do I want to mention anything else at this point, Nathan?
1: No, I think that's great. I mean, I guess, you know, shameless self-promotion. I'm still doing this um, LSAT boot camp April 23rd and 24th in Los Angeles. There's still space available for that if anybody wants to sign up and spend all day Saturday, all day Sunday doing awesome LSAT stuff. In L.A., um, that's all available through my website, foxlsat.com.
0: That sounds like a fun weekend.
1: A weekend with Nathan Fox. It is actually fun for me. I mean, I'm... Yeah, I'm sure it is. I was... Uh, I, my class, my San Francisco class, just started last week. And I got a whole new crop of victims in the class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, I have been giddy... Teaching my class, <laughs> it's—I'm just such a nerd, I guess. But yeah. it's so fun. It makes sense to me, and I love talking about it. I love explaining it, and so it's just fun in the classroom. I love it. So yeah, the the weekend thing—I mean, I believe it or not—I do look forward to all day Saturday, all day Sunday, just doing nothing but Elsa stuff with a new new group of students. It's well, always a good time.
0: it sounds fun. Well. All right. So scholarships, people are getting them these days more than they did before. Not surprisingly, because schools are desperate to fill their classes with warm bodies. And you're getting a lot of emails about these. What do you say? So
1: this is the time of year where people are making the decision about where they're going to go to law school. What, and, uh, you know, ideally they've applied broadly and they have several competing offers. And they a lot of times email me and say, hey, Nathan, here are my offers. What should I do? There are two pieces of advice that I'm constantly giving out and I just wanted to give these pieces of advice out publicly and make sure everybody was on the same page. The first one's kind of ridiculous, but I don't care what the number is on how much scholarship money they are giving you. So if you say to me, school X is giving me $25,000 and school Y is giving me $35,000, That is basically meaningless to me. And the reason why it's meaningless is because school X has their tuition and school Y has their different tuition. And so I don't care just what the raw scholarship number is. I care how much are you going to have to pay to attend each of those two schools.
0: Yeah. This makes sense, right? The bottom line is what you're uh, ultimately going to have to pay. And you got to keep in mind that as you as you pointed out here, that the uh, the price of the law school is arbitrary. I mean, one school can say we're going to charge 60 and another school can say we're going to charge 50. It's like, where did they get those numbers? Yeah. They're just random numbers. And what's happened recently
1: is um, tuitions have skyrocketed. Simultaneously, scholarships have skyrocketed or become far more common. Mm-hmm. And so basically what it is, is price discrimination. If you've ever taken an economics class, you learn that you capture more value um, from your customers by charging everybody a different price. And that's what the law schools are doing. I I tweeted uh, this last week. I saw this interesting chart from a tax professor. I think he's in San Diego who uh, tweeted this chart that was about how few people are actually paying full price to go to law school. Yep. It's something, what is it? It's like a third now. Yeah. Only a third of the people who go to law school are paying full tuition. Yes. So the other two thirds are getting partial scholarship help all the way up to full scholarship help. Yeah. And you need to not feel special when they offer you $25,000 is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Oh, by the way, they're not going to give you $25,000. That money is not yours. Yes. There is never, you're never going to see a check made out to you with $25,000 on it. That's not how it works. How it works is their tuition is $50,000. They're giving you a $25,000 scholarship. So what you're going to see is a bill for $25,000. That's right. And that's the number that you should really be looking at when you're making these decisions.
0: It's just a discount.
1: Yeah, it's a discount, right? It's just a, hey, how much are you going to charge me for this product? So if you're looking at your offers, you need to be thinking, all, all it is, is just take their tuition and they give you an estimate, I think, which is a pretty fair estimate of tuition, books, and fees. Mm-hmm. So I think you need to take the tuition, books, and fees estimate, subtract your scholarship, and then that's how much it's going to cost you to go to law school. Yeah. And you should compare those offers, not just compare how much the scholarships are. Because otherwise, you know, I'll make a new law school that'll cost a million dollars a year and I'll give everybody a $900,000 scholarship.
0: Yeah. Right? And that, that's, you're not you're not getting that money. I would add to that equation this, and this is a, <laughs> this steps back to whether or not you should go to law school. But when you're considering your costs, you should take the costs that they give you, the, the, what Nathan was just talking about. You should subtract any scholarship offers, the discounts. You figure out how much it's going to cost you to go to law school. And then you need to add in two more things. You need to add in opportunity costs, what you would have earned if you didn't go to law school, and the living expenses. I mean, I guess you would have to spend living expenses even if you didn't go to law school. But uh, sometimes we're moving to more expensive places. And so these are all things you have to take into account. But I think the biggest one here is the opportunity cost to not going to law school and pursuing something else. So a couple things with that, I would say living expenses,
1: that's going to vary school by school. So Mm -hmm. when you're doing, you know, I think maybe people need to get out a spreadsheet. Sorry, folks. You can do this Excel or just Google Sheets or whatever. You put the tuition, books and fees, the living expenses, then you subtract from that the scholarship offer. And then that'll give you one number for every school. But the living expenses are going to be different, right? Depending on where you live. Some people, you know, if you can live at home, I mean, that might suck, but... If you can live at home, you might end up saving yourself crazy money, you know, $60,000 or more during your three years of law school. So um, I do think that that needs to be part of your analysis and then you'll get one number for every school. The opportunity cost thing is also a really good point. I mean, if you're thinking about leaving a well-paying career in order to reboot yourself as a lawyer – Yeah, you absolutely have to think about how much money you would have made during those three years. And you probably also would have got promoted during those three years, right? Or get a raise during those three years. So, yeah, you got to think about not just what it's going to cost you in dollars, but what's it going to cost you in um, lost earning opportunity. Yeah. Is it, it's, I don't know if you feel this way, Ben. It's pretty rare if someone says to me, I have a good job. I have a well-paying career. That's almost like the end of the analysis. <laughs> I'm like, when somebody says that, I'm like, good for you. Great. <laughs> awesome. I don't know yeah. why you're talking to me. <laughs> what are you doing trying to restart yourself as a lawyer?
0: Yeah, I could, I could see it if, if they see a future in which they're doing more work that they don't like. But they'd have to know that they really want to do law. I think life, life is short, so you should get yourself oriented in a direction that's going to head you into a career that you're going to like. And if that's law, then maybe the opportunity cost of abandoning your current career makes a lot of sense. But if you're somewhat happy and you're pursuing law for more money, definitely no, Ugh. no. Yeah, no. I mean,
1: I. It's not just the money thing. I mean, if you if you make a lot of money but you hate your job, then yeah, by all means, do something else. But yeah. if you make decent money and and you don't hate your job, if you make decent money and your job is rewarding to you, yeah. boy, restarting and trying to be a lawyer starting from scratch, you know, it is starting for scratch from scratch, right? Like mm-hmm. because kids straight out of undergrad just they have every bit as good of a chance of getting a good grade in law school as you do even though mm-hmm. you're 35 and have this amazing career or whatever it just doesn't do anything when you're getting into this very arcane world of legal shit yeah right i mean you're <laughs> day 1 in law school nobody knows anything i don't care who you are yeah if you if you're just thinking like yeah i'm going to make a lot of money nah,
0: not not the way to go yeah you're going to have to put down a lot of money to make that money and time and it's not clear that it's really worth it yeah, no. Now, if
1: you're going on a full ride, that changes the math. If you have some sort of a job lined up after you get out of law school, that changes the math. But uh, for people who are just like, if they're going to leave a, a satisfying, well-paying career in order to restart yourself in law, ugh, you got to remember that like half the people who go to law school don't ever end up practicing law. So, yeah. you know, it's like pretty good odds that that investment is not going to pay off for you. Yeah. Okay. What else are we going to talk about?
0: You said something else about.
1: Oh shit. Another thing about scholarships. Right. So the other thing that people don't get about scholarships is that a $25,000 scholarship from school a and a $25,000 scholarship from school B might have very different renewal requirements attached to them. So at one school, it might be $25,000 per year, no renewal requirement. It just automatically renews. Or mm-hmm. it might be $25,000 per year, and all you have to do is remain in good academic standing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is like a you know 2.0 or a 2.3 or something like that. Like Just don't be on academic probation. And yeah. that's fine to me. If you're on academic probation, you should probably just drop out anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but the one that worries me is... Hey, we're going to give you $25,000 a year or a full ride even. And it renews every year. And all you have to do is maintain a 3.0. Hmm. That doesn't sound scary to most people, does it? No. Most lawyers, most, most future lawyers have, have never not had a 3.0, right? Yeah. 3.0. I can do that in my sleep. I had a 5.0 in high school and <laughs> I, you know, and I had a, f- at university, so 3.0 in law school, no problem. But why, Ben, why is that not as easy as people make it out to be?
0: Well, yeah, law school is a different animal. And also you have a lot of classes are, I don't know if curved is the right word, but you get a lot more people around around 3.0. And you also have way... You have people who are way more competitive. Like they just they get in there. You see them. You walk into law school and you're like, wow, that guy's been here since five thirty reading case books. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the competition is a lot stiffer.
1: But the and and that is a that is a definitely a factor. You know the the you listener, you. I'm talking to you, the person who's listening to this. I know you've been a good student your whole life, but every other person listening to this podcast has also been a good student their entire life. And when you go to law school, it's not going to be at at college. There's a lot of people who are just like, oh, yeah, going through the motions. I'm going to college because my parents told me I had to go to college and they're never going to grad school. But if you're going to grad school, you're going to law school. The other people who are going to law school are just as serious as you are. And they're just as hardworking as you are. And when you get to law school, you're going to be competing against a whole bunch of yourself, essentially. (laughs) it it really right it's like you get it's like you're getting promoted to a higher level of baseball or whatever yeah and it's just going to be tougher and so i know you've always gotten good grades i know you've always been at the top of your class but so has everyone else in the class and we can't all be in the top of the class curved is the right word law schools in a lot of cases have very strict curves And at a lot of schools, there are a couple of schools here in the Bay Area where the average GPA for the 1Ls is defined as 2.7.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's pretty low. So it doesn't
1: matter how smart the class is, by the way. It doesn't matter how Mm -hmm. hard you study. It doesn't matter how well everyone does. Everyone could kick ass, but the class average is still going to be a B- minus for every single class. And so the average GPA is going to be a 2.7. And if the average GPA is a 2.7 and the scholarships require you to have a 3.0, it's hard to get a 3.0 when the average is 2.7. And they curve pretty strictly. When I was in law school, there was like a a maximum of maybe 20% of each class that could even get an A. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So it was like 10% of the class would get C's 70% of the class would get B's and then maybe 20% of the class would get A's. And that was by definition, every professor had to adhere to that requirement. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, then it can be hard to get a 3.0. So if you get these scholarship offers, you need to really ask the school what the the renewal requirements are. This is a totally legit question. (laughs) They might try to hide it from you. But you need to ask, hey, can I renew this next year? And what are the requirements to renew it? And when they say 3.0, you need to say, okay, two questions. What was the average GPA for your 1Ls last year? And two, what percentage of your scholarship recipients were able to renew that scholarship in their second year? Yeah. Yeah. Because at some schools, like two-thirds of the scholarship recipients will lose their scholarship every year.
0: By design.
1: Yeah. So then now you have to compare – what would you rather have? Would you rather have $20,000 a year that renews as long as you're in academic good standing, like for free basically? So that's $60,000 guaranteed. Would you rather have that or would you rather have $30,000 a year but you have to get a 3.0 – And the class average GPA is going to be a 2.7. So, you know, if you renew it, it's going to be worth 90 grand. But if you don't renew it, it's only going to be worth 30 grand because you'll get it for the first year, but you won't get it beyond that. Or would you
0: rather have the 60 guaranteed? I think these are good questions. And I think that, um, I think it seems like the smaller amount, but the safer bet would be a good option. But I'm also thinking right now, some people might, choose that higher amount even though they have this renewal option uh, or this, I guess, it's uncertain whether they'll get a renewal precisely for that reason. Like I could actually see that being a good thing, sort of like a kick in the butt. Like I've got to work my butt off here and get a good GPA, which is good for your career if you're looking to go into like big law. And this is what's going to motivate me to do it because if I don't, I'm going to lose the scholarship. I'm not saying it's the wisest choice, but it, it could be a smart move depending on how you know yourself. People hate it when I talk about this, but I feel like
1: it's a pretty solid strategy in in some cases for some students. It would have been perfect for me, for example. Mm-hmm. I should have taken the best full ride that I could get or the best scholarship I could get. And then I should have dropped out if I didn't renew the scholarship.
0: Yeah, because right? you
1: probably shouldn't be there anyway. I shouldn't have been yep. there. If I wasn't kicking ass in law school, I shouldn't have been in law school. Now, yeah. I, I was never like cut out to be a lawyer in the first place, right? I didn't have my <laughs> shit together in the first place to like actually go be a practicing lawyer for a lot of reasons. Yeah. I just didn't know what lawyers did. I didn't want to do that work. It just wasn't the right thing for me to begin with. But But that makes it even a better strategy for me to do this sort of high variance approach where it's like, hey, I'm not going to pay anything for the first year. I'm going to a lower ranked regional law school. They're absolutely going to qualify me to sit for the bar and they'll, they'll make a lawyer out of me if I make it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I'm going to, it's going to cost me zero in the first year. I'm probably going to be more talented than my competition in that law school, right? The fact that they're giving me a full ride indicates that I'm probably a little more high horsepower than everybody else that's there. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, at least, you know, I'm probably a better writer. I'll probably be able to pull off some more A's that these, that these other kids might not be able to, as long as I do the work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then after the first year, if I hadn't done the work, if it, for whatever reason, didn't resonate with me and I didn't excel, well, then if I don't renew the scholarship, then I should just say, all right, I'm done. Yeah, That would have been a great strategy for me. Yeah. People kind of hate it when I say that, though, (laughs) because it's like
0: now I'm telling them that they should drop out of law school. But (laughs) yeah, law school itself is a good sort of test too. if you if you like what you're doing in law school, then it's right for you. But if you don't like it, there certainly are legal things that you can do that are not at all related to law school. But it's kind of a sign, you know, it's not like it's totally unrelated to what you'll be doing in practice. So no, I mean, I, I think
1: lawyers love to work. And law school is going to give you a big opportunity to do a lot of work, you know, jump through a lot Mm -hmm. of hoops. And Mm -hmm. if you, yeah, I think if you excel in your first year of law school, it's probably going to work out for you. But if you do mediocre or for sure, if you're in the bottom third of the class or whatever, after your first year of law school, you got to have a serious like heart to heart with yourself about whether this is something you want to continue. Because you know your second year is going to be another fifty grand, and your third year is going to be another fifty grand, and you're just going into like a lifetime of debt for pretty uncertain benefit. If you're already losing the competition in law school, yeah, then the bar is going to be tough, and legal practice is going to be tough too. Good points. I just I get so many emails from people at this time of year with those kinds of issues, so I feel
0: like
1: we got to do a public service announcement.
0: Yeah. So this this next thing is the is the uh new photo requirement and I guess uh this is a message from Elsac, right? The what you have here in the agenda. Elsac tweeted a link to Facebook. Okay. And this was on Facebook.
1: This text that I've copied here was on Facebook. You want to read it?
0: Yeah, I just love this text because this is so <laughs> This is so them. They they take the world (laughs) way too seriously. But uh
1: Yeah, they never change.
0: I feel like this is like a multi million dollar like lawsuit or something waiting to happen and they want to protect you from it. But it says, okay, review the photograph you uploaded when registering for the LSAT. It must all caps meet (laughs) the LSAT admission ticket photo requirements. Capitalized it is your responsibility to make sure these requirements are met right yeah no shit who else is going to take responsibility for that? <laughs> not them because they don't want to get sued so
1: it's not their response nothing's their responsibility it's all your responsibility yeah
0: admission to the test center may be denied if your photo is not acceptable if you are denied admission you will not be eligible for a refund If you determine that your photo does not meet LSAC requirements, call LSAC at this number, 215-968-1001, during our business hours for assistance. Oh, wow. Okay, so they could have just said, make sure your photo is good, otherwise you might get denied. I think that would actually have conveyed the message a little more clearly, and people would have said, okay, I need to figure out what that is so I don't get denied, uh, and then take it from there. I, I always tell people to make sure your photo looks like it would if you took it for your passport. It's just a passport photo, which means it's just going to be your face and your shoulders. It's going to be a plain background. Since you, have, you can take any photo you want, just get yourself next to a white wall so that you have a plain white background. And you can take your photo yourself using the square option if you have an iPhone. I don't know anything about Android, but there's a square setting. Take the photo, take it with flash, see which one looks the best, and upload that.
1: Yeah. Um we will give a link to the page. Um there's a page on LSAC.org about the ticket photo requirement. Capitalized mm-hmm. ticket photo requirement. Um There's a whole page that shows you what a good photo looks like and describes what, you know, good photo will consist of. And then there's a whole bunch of unacceptable photos. So Mm -hmm. we'll link to this in our show notes. The show notes are available at thinkinglsat.com. We should probably give a shout out to our awesome editor, Andy Black, who is writing those amazing show notes for us. Um, They're more entertaining than the actual show, probably. So, (laughs) you know, enjoy those. That's at thinkinglsat.com. We'll have a link to this page, but things that won't work. Full body, not gonna work. There's a picture of a dude who's taking a selfie and the phone is like covering up half of his face. <laughs> That's not gonna work. There's a dude. I, love with, these photos. I know, it's hilarious. There's a dude with some crazy sunglasses on. Sunglasses, not allowed. This guy also has really a ridiculous beard. I don't think <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with I think you can have a ridiculous beard, but I think probably though, you know, you need to think about this if you used to have a beard and now you don't have a beard or if you're thinking of like shaving off the beard the day before the LSAT or something like that. You might want to think about that because you want to look like your photo as much as possible because you really don't want to have any drama on the morning of the test. Here's one where the guy is like completely pixelated, (laughs) just fuzzy, (laughs) out of focus, pixelated guy. That's pretty funny. This guy has a super close-up of himself where you can't see his entire head. All you can see is like just a ultra close-up of his face. That's not allowed. And then there's a, a photo of like some girl with her friend, which also is not, that's not allowed.
0: These photos are entertaining and they're actually way better than the photos they had before. They used to have like 30 photos that all looked essentially the same except for some like minor difference. And I remember students would just look at them and you'd be like, is mine like bad? It's kind of I know. like photo number 37. Yeah. Like- <laughs> I
1: think what's going on is actually – I think they're rationalizing their, their program a little bit because it, it – you know my advice used to be just go to Kinko's, go to Walgreens pay the $12, get yourself an official passport style photograph so that you don't have any doubt. That used to be my advice, but now because they are having you, they're allowing you to upload a photo. It seems pretty clear to me that a selfie is going to work here or your friend is going to be able to do this for you. Just get yourself in front of a white background. There can't be shadows. You know, it has to be well lit. We need a clear background. We need to be able to clearly see your face and then no weird hats or sunglasses or other people or full body or whatever. It's just going to be like just a headshot looking straight at the camera, Yeah. Uh, not side angle, whatever. It's got to be straight at the camera. If you have any doubts, absolutely still go to Walgreens and pay 12 bucks, you know, and they'll just do it for you and then you'll never have to worry about it. But how does that work now? Do they give you the digital copy? No, I'm sure you just then scan it. I mean, you take a photo oh, yeah. of the photo or something. I'm sure yeah. that would work. A couple couple more things about this because I interviewed my class I, in my San Francisco class who I was with last night. I talked to them about this because a bunch of them have already done this. And so I heard a few interesting things. One was uh, if you're not sure about your photo, one girl in my class actually emailed the photo to LSAC and they like gave her their blessing on it. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's an interesting one. I would definitely use that phone number if you ever have any doubts. What was that phone number again?
0: Yeah. uh, Let's see here. 215-968-1001. Yeah. I would liberally
1: use that phone number. I mean, you're going to pay LSAC so much money in the course of applying to law school. Yeah. And their website is pretty shitty and they're pretty good on the phone though. So if you have any problems about your registration, any questions, any, anything, I would just like put them on speed dial and just call them all the time. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're charging you plenty for this service. So you should just go ahead and let them help you out. You're going to be taking this photograph. You're going to be uploading it when you register. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you're going to print, when you print out your admission ticket, the photo is going to actually be printed out as part of your admission ticket. Yeah. That part makes me a little bit queasy. Okay. Because what if your printer is mildly on the fritz? Yeah. Or the color sucks. Well, it's going to be, I'm sure it's going to be black and white, but what if it comes out? With you know how sometimes the printer will have those like little lines through mm-hmm. through the printout? What if that happens? Yeah. And we we don't know because this is a brand new policy for the June LSAT, June 2016 yeah. LSAT. So because this is the first time I'm just a little bit concerned about what's gonna happen on the actual day. I think it's a good bit of advice that I gave my class last night, which is just, hey, maybe I always say, print out your admission ticket, you know, a couple days in advance. Yeah. In this case, I might say, hey, print it out definitely a couple days in advance and consider printing it out at work or printing it out on, you know, like a good printer somewhere. Yeah. So you get a PDF
0: download, right?
1: Your admission ticket is going to, yeah. Is it, do
0: they email it to you? I think they email you a link to it anyway. Yeah. But ultimately, you're going to get a PDF, which is then going to have your image on it. You could try to print it out at work or at home. And if it doesn't work out or you're not sure that it's the best printout, I know that you can email PDFs to FedEx. You can also upload them and then go to a FedEx near you and print it out.
1: So that would cost you a dollar or $2 yeah. or something like that. And you yeah. just go pick up the admission ticket and it will be perfectly yeah. printed out. Um, again, if you have any doubts, don't wait until the morning of <laughs> to sort this out. We already gave you the phone number. Oh, the email is uh, LSAC, with a C, L-S-A-C, info, at LSAC.org. What do you think about them just changing their name to LSAT? Don't you think that would make life easier for everybody?
0: I think it would make it easier. Yeah. I I like to say LSAC in class for different things, and people are like, wait, what? Wait, LSAC? I thought this was the LSAT.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Come on, LSAC. Change your name to LSAT. (laughs) <laughs> make make life easier for everybody, anyway, no, I think they are pretty responsive, customer service wise. uh phone and email seems to really get through to them, and they have the budget for it, and so just yeah, go ahead and let them help you. If there's anything else about that, you all out there, those of you who have actually already gone through this process, uh you know more about it than I do. Please email us or tweet us or whatever. And uh, let us know if there are things that we're missing about this. Because we have time to update this before the June LSAT. So we, we would be happy to give more information about this on our next yeah, show or whatever.
0: For sure. That'd be great. Oh, so the next thing, uh, we talked about the student who lost her case. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, she was a student at Thomas Jefferson.
1: Her case actually made it to a jury. She was suing because she said that they had misrepresented um, their employment numbers or falsified or whatever, their employment numbers. And she sued them trying to get her tuition back and she lost her jury case pretty handily. I think it was like nine to three or something like that. She got her Mm. ass kicked. (laughs) Which, you know, we predicted that, right? I mean, you're suing a bunch of lawyers. Yeah. So... That's not a good bunch of people to sue. They have unlimited legal resources
0: and you don't. You also got to think about the jury too. I don't think they're going to be too sympathetic to a a lawyer. I think there was some,
1: there was some glitch in the case where she, cause she has been employed Yeah. during this, you know, well, it's been four years, so hopefully she's been empo- um, employed, <laughs> but she, she did end up finding a job and I think she was making like sixty or seventy thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's true that she might have expected to make more money than that, you know, and, and I think most people who go to law school hope to make more than sixty thousand dollars a year. But when you're making sixty thousand dollars a year and you're crying to a jury, the mm-hmm. jury's probably making less than sixty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, medium income in the United States is fifty-one thousand. <laughs> also, people who serve on juries. You know, people who make more money than that tend to get out of it. Yeah. Right? I mean, you got yeah. a million excuses. You're smart enough. You're savvy enough. You're too busy. You have all sorts of reasons to get off of the jury when you're yeah. a doctor. And so the people who actually sit on juries, I think, tend to be a little a little less savvy. They're happy to have the days off of work or whatever. And when they hear someone crying about, oh, I only make $60,000, that's not working in your favor. So yeah anyway she lost
0: yeah well that's gonna put a nail in that coffin i think probably for those cases yeah that
1: might be the only one that ever makes it that far because it was already you know a four-year process and super expensive i'm sure to even get it to a trial yeah and then to just immediately lose um right don't see a whole bunch
0: of people lining up to make that same investment again yeah so Bonifacio, yeah, is asking uh, about uh, applying for fee waivers from LSAC. Um, he's just said that he was worried if we could talk about that. I, I don't, I don't know that I have a lot to say. What, what would you say? Apply for it if you think you can get it.
1: Yeah, I mean, so the LSAC does have a fee waiver program. If you, um, if you are qualified, it's like income requirements and if yeah. you're too young or if you've been a dependent then probably it's going to be your parents income requirement but if you're a little bit older and living on your own then it might just be your income requirement mm-hmm. but anyway it doesn't cost you anything to apply so if you think there's a chance you can get it you probably should apply for the lsac fee waiver because not only does it give you the lsat for free which is 175 but it gives you i think some prep materials for free it gives you um, the credential assembly service for free, mm-hmm. and it gives you a fixed a certain number of uh, applications for free. Furthermore, once you qualify for the LSAC fee waiver, pretty much all you have to do is tell ev- any school that you're looking to apply to. You just tell that school, "Hey, I by the way I was I qualified for the LSAC fee waiver, and yeah. so I'm wondering if you'll waive your application fee." And I'd be shocked if they say no to you yeah. once that happens. So the LSAC fee waiver, I think, on its face is worth five hundred dollars or more. But I think it could be worth a few thousand dollars depending how many schools you're gonna to apply to and how much you're you know, how much value you squeeze out of it.
0: So when you say that it waives uh four or five applications you're talking about the fee that LSAC charges you to apply. Right? That's what I yeah. So and this was also part of Bonifacio's
1: question. He wanted um to hear about the costs of applying to law school in general. So yeah. I guess we should try to go through all of those. Yeah.
0: The LSAT is $175 you might take it three times. Yep. Then you have the uh, credential assembly service which is the tool that you'll u- use to apply to law school that's 170. So okay, we're already over $300. Yep. Then if you apply late that's another 90. Uh so don't apply late if you decide to change your test center. Wow, that's gone up too. That's $90. Uh, if you ch- decide to change your test date, that's $90. No, granted, those things are not necessary. You don't have to do those things, but sometimes people uh, do do that. So, Frankly,
1: those are a drop in the bucket compared to all of the other costs anyway, right? Like if someone is registered for the test, but they're not ready, they should mm-hmm. absolutely just eat the
0: $175. That's true. Just yeah. be aware that you can't just change it uh, for free because you're not ready. Right. It's going to cost $90. So keep that in mind. So then those are the fees basically associated with taking the LSAT, and then you have the credential assembly service now, and you're going to have to pay them a fee. What's the fee for that to apply to law schools? So like if you apply to 10 law schools? I think it's like $32 per school or something like that. Yeah, that sounds
1: right. It's in, that, it's in the $30 range, which makes me laugh because... They already charged you $170 for the credential assembly service, which is that's the service where you upload your transcripts or you have your transcripts mailed in to them and, and you, um, they, they keep track of your LSAT score. You upload your personal statement, all your letters of recommendation get uploaded into this credential assembly service. So the service is $170, but then every time you want to actually apply to any school, they have to send a report to the school and they're yeah. going to charge you thirty something dollars to send that report, which, by the way, it's electronic. <laughs> so you know that's just seems pretty crazy that they're going to charge you that much money. So yeah, if you apply to ten schools, now you're looking at three hundred dollars for those reports. If you apply to thirty schools, you're looking at nine hundred dollars for those reports. So
0: that definitely adds up. Yeah. So you're paying all those fees, and then you got to pay the schools themselves because they're there's, you're paying. LSAC to send the application and then you're paying the school what sixty to a hundred dollars depending on the school to look at your application?
1: Sixty to I think it can be even more than a hundred, but yeah, let's say let's say seventy to a hundred dollars average, maybe? Yeah. For the yeah. school for, for each school you apply to. Now those uh, are very waivable they're very likely to either just not even have an application fee or they're likely to just say, Oh sure. You know, you have, if you ask, we might just give it to you for free at, um, at those, at those big, uh, fairs, you know, admission, uh, the big, like LSAC fairs or whatever they call them. What do they call them? Yeah. Forums, forums at the, at the forums,
0: law school forums. at the law school
1: forums, you'll see the law schools just handing out application codes for free just left and right. So even recently, I've had people apply to 30 schools and get like 25 of them for free uh, just wow. because they, you know, it takes work. But mm-hmm. um, you, you put in that work and then you get all that stuff just paid for.
0: Yeah. Okay. It could easily cost two or $3,000. Let's put it that way. Sure. Um, some other costs to keep in the back of your mind would just be after you apply, you might want to it actually be pretty recommended to, to go visit some hmm. of these schools, depending on if you get waitlisted or if you're debating between two schools. It does not hurt to go there. And although this stuff is expensive, compared to what you're about to do, it is still a drop in the bucket, and you got to keep your eye on the, the big picture here. It can make a life-changing uh, decision. It is a life-changing decision to go to one school versus another, or it can be. So keep that in mind. As yeah. You it's where you're going to
1: odds are right. If someone goes to school X, the odds are pretty good that they're going to live in that city for at least the beginning of their career. Yeah. And possibly, you know, meet somebody, get married, live the rest of their life there. Yeah. Not to mention the reputation of that school, the connections that you'll make like that is going to influence the kinds of jobs that you'll get for the rest of your life. So, and you're going to have to spend three years there. You know, I can't imagine, for example, like, uh, let's say you get into Notre Dame. Um, You better goddamn go visit Notre Dame before you just sign up and go there. Yeah. Right. I mean, what you're going to find is a very beautiful campus in nowhere, Indiana. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, if you're like from one of the coasts or if you're from a big city, I think that's going to be a bit shocking to like the, cli- for the climate and the culture and everything, you got to make sure it's a good fit for you. So, yeah, visiting that could be, boy, you start adding up those expenses, plane tickets and hotels and stuff, that's going to add up fast.
0: Yeah. But I, you know, and you got to make the decision as you go. You don't need to worry about this all right now, but just uh, something to. Think of it as an investment in cases, and decide whether it's a worthy investment. If it is, pay for it.
1: Yeah, and if you're like, oh, I just can't afford to spend five or ten thousand dollars on this process, then why do you think you can spend one hundred and sixty thousand dollars on law school? Yeah, right. I mean, it it's just that's so weird where people can't see the forest for the trees, and they're like, gonna just die. Like, the 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 really bad decision is like. Because they don't want to spend three or four thousand dollars applying broadly, they only apply to one school, mm-hmm. and then that one school gives them a shitty offer and they end up going to some shitty school paying full price. Yeah, I would I would make the investment up front in applying broadly, make sure you get as good of offers as you can, and you know, yeah, you could save yourself easily six figures or,
0: or end up going to a much better school. Yeah. Cool. Should we go on to the uh, June 2007 LSAT question? I think it's that time. I think so. Okay, so we're looking at the June 2007 LSAT. You can download that by just Googling June 2007 LSAT, and it will be the first link. You download that test, and you go to the second section. That's a logical reasoning section. Right now, we're on question 19, if you find this helpful. You can just go back to our past episodes. We've talked about questions 1 through 18 in the past, uh, even some games, I think.
1: Let's let's dive
0: into this one.
1: A historian says, the Land Party achieved its only national victory in Benestria in 1935. Is that a
0: real party? I have no idea.
1: Is that a real country?
0: I... <laughs> I have no idea. I've never heard of it before. Is that a real year? Yes,
1: it yes. is. 1935. That actually <laughs> happened. Well, although neither you nor I can testify that that actually happened. You know, we were not there. Yeah. So. we are. I'm ignorant to this knowledge. They could all be faked, like yeah. the moon landing and 9 11. Yeah. Totally faked. Okay. So, fine. The land party, it won one time nationally in Benestria in 1935. Great. So what? It received most of its support that year in rural and semi-rural areas where the bulk of Benestria's population lived at the time. Okay. Cool. I mean, if the bulk of the population lived there and it won, kind of seems almost given that that's where most of their support came from. Where the population was. I mean, they won a national thing. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it well, doesn't have I to be true. Them. Doesn't have to be true. Yeah, okay.
1: The economic woes of the years surrounding that election hit agricultural and small business interests the hardest, and the land party specifically targeted those groups in 1935. Okay, so I guess this is like Great Depression-ish.
0: It sounds like it. We can assume
1: the 1930s were that was a global economic depression. Benestria could be a fictional country as far as we know, but I'm following the story. I'm thinking, okay, depression years, the land party, they won on rural and semi-rural support Mm -hmm. in a climate of economic woes and specifically agricultural and small business groups that the land party targeted.
0: Yes. And what your recap illustrates i think and i think we're both thinking this is this so far all of this has just been like information fun
1: facts about benestria and the land party in 1935
0: yeah i'm not hearing any argument here at all i'm just hearing okay got it got it you're about to hear some argument though because Mm -hmm. the next sentence starts with i
1: conclude (laughs) so this is it's a long argument right it's a lot of words in the argument But they now clearly signal to us that everything before was just information and here comes the actual logic or here comes the the conclusion that they're going to try to reach based on these facts. Yep. So, and this is where my bullshit detector goes into high alert, right? Like, I'm Mm -hmm. expecting that you're going to say something. I'm expecting that you're going to lie to me. You're going to try to (laughs) fool me in some way. You're going to have left something out of your argument. I just, I will always accept your evidence, but I will not accept usually
0: your conclusion. I'm, I'm going to look for something wrong with your conclusion. Yeah. I think it's a good thing to think about to be suspicious. But I, instead of thinking of these people as lying, I guess I'd think of them as being stupid. Okay, because sure. Because they strongly believe this conclusion. They're just idiots. Um, okay. Except, you know,
1: there will be arguments where there will be like a straw man or there will be arguments where... I don't know. I feel like sometimes people intentionally give you a flawed argument, or I I, I think you're probably right most of the time. I'll I'll say that. I mean, yeah, I think that stupidity is probably more common than deceit. But I'm open to the possibility that they might just be trying to straight up deceive me. Okay. All right. Straw man is an argument is a flawed argument that's regularly tested on
0: the LSAT. Yeah,
1: and straw man is not being stupid as much as it is just like lying.
0: Yeah, although the person could be, well, it doesn't matter. As long as you're, as long as you're suspicious of the conclusion, either because that person is trying to actively deceive you, or because they honestly believe that this is something that they could conclude on the basis of the information that they provided, but they are dead wrong, um, and therefore you need to help them realize how dumb they are. You're good to go.
1: Okay, great. So, stupid or liar, we don't know yet because we don't know what they've said. Yep. I conclude that the success of the land party that year was due to the common... So, now due to. Mm -hmm. That's cause and effect, right? Cause and effect, yep. Okay, cause and effect is also really common on the LSAT. Maybe probably a third of the arguments have something to do with causation. Just kind of rough guess. And I wouldn't say it's that high, but I, I I do agree it's high. I I was surprised when I counted one time, and it was like a third. So that that was a very small sample. It could have just been that that section that I was looking at had a lot of causation in it.
0: Well, I haven't
1: counted, so I don't... <laughs> it's a super small sample, Ben. But I <laughs> I was shocked when I did that. I was like, "Holy shit, man! They really do talk about causation a lot." Yeah. So here they don't say cause and effect, but they say due to. And mm-hmm. if they're saying that this thing happened, they were the land party was successful in 1935, and they say this was due to causes, mm-hmm. and those causes are the combination of the land party specifically addressing the concerns of these groups. that was those agricultural and small business interests. yeah, and the depth of the economic problems people in these groups were facing, because this was their were economic woes. Yeah, The depression.
0: What do you think? Well, um, to be honest I think that he or she is kind of attributing the success to something that I would attribute it to as well. I would say yeah, this kind of makes sense. I know that I am being sympathetic to the argument here and our job is to be critical, but This conclusion is not totally crazy to me, given what this person said before, that they did have these concerns, there was an economic problem, and this party did address them, and the economic problems motivate people, I think, to take action. And since this party was addressing them, this conclusion makes sense to me. That said, because, I mean... this is only taking like a half second, but I'm looking down here and it says, each of the following if true strengthens the arguments except. I know that this question, if an answer choice is going to strengthen it, I know that uh, it's going to fix some sort of problem. So my job, as always, is to say, well, okay, this conclusion certainly could be true, but why does it not have to be true? What are some potential problems here? And all I'm thinking to myself is maybe they won for some other reason, maybe they won because the other party uh, was just awful or there were no other parties that even had a viable chance. For who knows what? Those are, those are the, That's kind of the same idea, but that's what comes to my mind because this person is saying X caused Y, and as long as we can just say something else caused Y, then this conclusion falls apart, even though I think it's a very reasonable conclusion. I think maybe not very reasonable, but I think it's a it's a plausible conclusion. Okay, so
1: I agree with you that it is plausible, but I also think I would say that this argument demonstrates one of the LSAT's most common flaws.
0: Yeah, you're talking about correlation
1: to causation. Yeah, it, which might be the LSAT's second most common flaw. Right? Yeah. Confusing sufficient yeah. necessary yeah. is probably it's the first one. one. Mm-hmm. Fucking up causation is probably the second one. And yeah. if you boil down this argument, I think it boils all the way down to there's a correlation, therefore there's causation.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I guess what I am trying to emphasize to people is that there's a difference between conclusions that could be true and conclusions that must be true. And... Even if a conclusion could be true, you can still attack it because it's as long as it's not proven, there's a problem. I don't know who I work for here, right? And
1: I'm I'm kind of imagining the historian as a prospective client maybe coming mm-hmm. into my office and telling me this story yeah. and trying to prove this causal conclusion. But Mm -hmm. if I'm talking to the historian and I'm asking questions to the historian, I I have to boil it down to, hey, listen, you're saying that this thing happened. The land party won in a climate of economic woes Mm -hmm. and also won while they were pursuing these agricultural and small business interests. That happened. That's a thing that happened, right? Mm -hmm. But -hmm. now you're concluding that the reason why they won... Was because of the economic climate and the fact that they pursued the agricultural and small business interests. Yep. But anticipating what the other side might say. Couldn't you have won for any other reason? Yeah. I mean, maybe you were running that year against Donald Trump. (laughs) And maybe the reason why you won is because Donald Trump is an asshole. Mm hmm. Right, And it's like, yes, you did pursue these small business interests. And yes, there was this weird shit going on with the economy. And yes, the Warriors were playing really good basketball at that time. But just because the Warriors were playing really good basketball at the same time where you won an election doesn't mean you won the election because the Warriors were playing really good basketball. Yeah. So my that would be my feedback to the client is like, hey, can we bolster this argument by coming up with reasons to believe that the thing you did actually led to the the thing that happened yeah right so can we can we strengthen these ties can we make it can we can we come up with because it's reasonable as far as it goes sure it sounds Mm -hmm. like i'm i'm listening i'm like yeah okay I, i get it but can we tighten those connections and can we possibly eliminate other alternative causes here, mm-hmm. you know, here's a really good alternative cause. Nobody else w- ran that year. Yep. If, if the other side comes in and shows that no one else ran that year, then now you look like an asshole for saying that the reason why you won was because of the economic climate and because you pursued agricultural and small business interests. Mm-hmm. No, the obvious reason why you won is because no one else ran. And I think that's the lawyer's job, right? Is to anticipate both sides of the argument and think about what the other side might say. Yeah. So that's, anyway, all that would kind of flash through my head in 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I heard your argument. It seems pretty reasonable, but I think you're basically doing a correlation causation argument. And that's going to be really vulnerable to any alternate causes.
0: Yep. All right. Cool. Cool. So the question, each of the following of true strengthens the historian's argument, except means that we're looking for something that either doesn't strengthen the argument or weakens it.
1: Yeah. Some people will just immediately think this has to be a weakener, that the Mm -hmm. correct answer has to be a weakener. But that's not really true. It's we're just picking the one that
0: doesn't strengthen.
1: Yeah. So something completely
0: irrelevant would be a perfect answer here. Yeah, like Santa likes red shoes. Yes, would be awesome. That would be and sometimes really people can awesome. cross that out because they're like, wait, what does Santa have people? to do with anything? It's like, well, that's the point.
1: <laughs> yeah, Santa can't possibly strengthen this argument.
0: Cool. So, well, yeah, answer choice A. In preceding elections, the land party made no attempt to address the interests of economically distressed urban groups. So, does this hmm. strengthen the argument? I don't see how
1: I mean if it said rural then I would see it as a strengthener because it would be like not only did they reach out to these groups that year but they had never previously reached out to those groups Mm -hmm. so that makes it more likely that the reason why they won this year is because they reached out to those groups right or yeah but but it's the one word there urban Mm-hmm. It, that's not who we were talking about. We were talking about rural and semi-rural areas. Yeah. And we don't know whether they did reach out to urban groups. We don't. In 1935.
0: Yeah. What did they say exactly? They said they targeted those groups. So they targeted rural and semi-rural. That doesn't mean they didn't target urban. That's right. It does not mean that. But even if they did, I'm not sure, like... How does the previous years in terms of what they did for the urban groups have anything to do with this? I, I'm i scratching my head. So I would leave this open as a possible answer because I'm having trouble seeing how it's relevant. Granted, if we come across another one that seems just as irrelevant or weakens the argument, then I might reevaluate this one. But at this point, I'd just say keep it open, right. moving on.
1: Yeah, I'd be moving on. I wouldn't be trying to make it into a strengthener. I'd be thinking like, well, that seems like it might be off target. If I can find B, C, D, and E to all be even mediocre strengtheners, yeah, well then I would just be able to pick A without even looking at it again, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we don't need to think about too much. We're just there's a question mark in a head. Just leave it open. Yeah, just say we'll come back to it later. Okay. So B voters are more likely to vote for a politician for a political party that focuses on their problems. Awesome. I mean, yeah, they
1: did focus on these groups. They did win that year. If it's a general principle that voters are more likely to vote for a political party that focuses on their problems, then it seems like maybe they won because of focusing on these people's problems. Yeah. Yeah, B would have fit nicely in with the brief, you know, B would have been a perfectly reasonable thing to say. If it's true, it certainly seems to
0: be going in the right direction. It's an assumption that the person was making, and now we're affirming that assumption. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, the Lamb party had most of its successes when there was economic distress in the agricultural sector. Okay, that also seems to tie together the economic woes, uh, which is what they specifically mentioned in the premises and in the conclusion. And they're saying, "Look, that's when they had the most success." This is a this answer choice is actually. Uh, Still just establishing a correlation, but by reinforcing that correlation increases the likelihood that there is a causal relationship between those two events. And
1: by most of its successes, I would assume that they are talking about like local elections or maybe just even like they finished a strong second because, you know, they only won nationally one time. Right. Yeah. But they had other successes When there was economic distress in the agricultural sector, like, oh yeah, look, also in 1919, there was a drought and the land party finished second that year. They almost won. Yeah. That seems to, yeah, it it strengthens the tie between winning elections or having electoral success and this specific group.
0: Yep. Answer choice D. So we've crossed out B, we've crossed out C. Uh, D, no other major party in this country, specifically addressed the issues of people who lived in semi-rural areas in 1935?
1: Certainly doesn't hurt the argument. We're trying to show that because they, we know that the Land Party did address the issues of people who lived in semi-rural areas, and they won Mm -hmm. the election. And we're trying to say, hey, nobody else addressed semi-rural areas. The reason why you won is because you addressed semi-rural areas. Sure. That seems like a strengthener to me.
0: Yeah. Another way to think about this answer choice is to imagine the opposite. If all the other parties did address the issues of people who lived in these semi-rural areas, then that would not be a distinguishing factor between this party and the other parties. So you couldn't say that's why they won. And one way that you can strengthen
1: an argument is by defending it against an attack, right? So that's, I, I do, I think it's a really good point. D is helping the argument by defending it against a potential problem, mm-hmm. right? If, the, if your opposition comes in and says, hey, look, every party specifically addressed semi-rural areas in 1935, yeah. then how the hell can the Land Party
0: claim that that's the reason why they won? Yeah. Perfect. So D's out. E says, the greater the degree of economic distress someone is in, the more likely that person is to vote and the land
1: party was specifically targeting economically distressed people therefore they won i mean that just seems like it fits with the argument
0: yeah i don't i don't think like b c d and e are perfect answers they're not things that would then prove the conclusion or make it awesome but they certainly make it better and i'm still scratching my head on a so I'm assuming we'd pick a
1: yeah I mean you'd have to work really hard in order to make a into a strengthener right like yeah. it would take you 30 seconds to explain to me why a is a strengthener mm-hmm. b c d and e all just kind of on their face seem like strengtheners um so yeah. I'm pretty happy saying that a is
0: the exception all righty well uh I think that's everything for today did you have anything else you wanted to add I do not. I would like
1: to thank the audience for reaching out to us. We get awesome feedback. Um, We get awesome questions from you guys. Please keep those rolling in. Uh, You can always tweet me at nfox. You can tweet Ben at strategy prep. You can tweet the show at thinking LSAT. You can email help at thinkinglsat.com. You can put comments on our website. ThinkingLSAT.com if you comment on Andy Black's awesome show notes, we will uh, read your comments and we'll respond to those as well
0: I want to add one more thing so I'm curious what people think about the opening and closing music. Someone made a comment about the music like a year ago and they said, it's got a weird uh, sort of vibe to it or something like that and it's always stuck with me so I'm curious, do you think we should keep it get rid of it or make it louder yeah absolutely something like that I'm just curious is this is it it, maybe we won't do anything I'm not promising anything here at all we're not that we're not that attentive (laughs) I was gonna say yeah we do work for you the listener and
1: we want to make the show as good as it can be without us having to actually do much work yeah. <laughs> so, um, but no, that is a good point. It would be pretty easy for us to uh, change the music, make it longer, make it shorter, make it louder, um, oh whatever, whatever you, whatever you guys want. I think we can probably accommodate that request. So, or but if you have any suggestions, any me. suggestions? If you want to, if you if you are in an awesome band and you want to give us some royalty-free um, music that we can use as a bumper for the show,
0: we'd probably be open to that. Um, yeah. We will not pay you, though, for your music. I'm sorry. There's too much <laughs> free shit out there. Yeah, so email us or, or tweet us at thinkingelseat or email us at help at So. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys.
1: All right. Thank you, Ben. This has uh, been a fun ride. This is definitely one of the most fun parts of my job is doing the show. I love doing the show. love talking to you every two weeks. love hearing from all the listeners.
0: Yeah, I wish I wish I could say the same. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, Nathan. Of course, Ben Olsen, ladies and gentlemen, he'll be here all yeah. week. No, this is good. good no, time. it's
1: it's great. Hey, um, I really recommend teaching as a career <laughs> for young folks. What what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, no, I love it a lot. And um, you know, I know we're kind of going going on, going on a tangent here, but have you heard of the book uh, Teach Like a Champ? No. You can get it as an audio book or just a book. Um, but it, this guy basically follows a bunch of high school teachers, mainly, I think throughout America, uh, through teach through America and different things. But he, he made a ton of observations about what makes teachers more effective. And he wrote one book and it was really super popular. So then he wrote another book and ended up throwing out like a third of the first book, even though he thought all that advice was good. He's like, there's just... So much more that the teachers have done with the tips that I provided in the first book that I really just needed to take all this stuff to the next level, and it's a it's a really good read it's a little overwhelming because you're like, "Wow, that's some really good teaching stuff I could implement," and I'm getting overwhelmed by all the different things I could do but i've I've implemented a lot of them in class, and it's it's fun to experiment with them and help people basically remember what we're talking about, but it's a cool book. Bottom line, Teach Like a Champ version 2, I'd check it out.
1: Do you have uh, one, could you give me maybe one tip that you've implemented in your LSAT class that you think I might actually be capable of implementing?
0: Something easy, in other words. Sure. So this is something that you probably are already doing, uh, because it's something that I was doing, but I just didn't know how important it was, and I didn't do it very religiously. But it is a combination of two things: one, uh, knowing everyone's name hmm. and calling on people randomly so yeah. that everyone feels engaged. But the book goes into why calling on people randomly is so valuable in terms of getting information to you yourself as the teacher. Uh, when you randomly call on people, you diminish the number of people who always know the answers you know from talking, which is it's great when they share. What they know uh, with everyone, but it prevents you from knowing where the average of the class is at, you know? And so I've made a much more proactive effort of randomly calling on everybody so I can get a sense of really where the class as a whole is at with what we're talking about, as opposed to those who happen to be paying attention right in that moment and fully understand it.
1: Yeah. That's a great idea. I, um, the names thing I've started, uh, I make a seating chart on the first night and then they don't have to sit there on the subsequent nights, but I make a seating chart and then I photograph the class while they're sitting in that seating chart. Mm. And then I go memorize it
0: because I've learned
1: cool. that I, I like, I have to actually work at it in order to learn everybody's names unfortunately my memory skills are pretty shitty i get smashed by my nine-year-old niece whenever we play like memory (laughs) games (laughs) um so yeah i have to like work at that part but the random calling on people i did call on a couple people last night and and you're right i mean not only does it keep everybody on their toes because they know that i might all of a sudden call on them i'm not doing that to shame anybody i just want to get everybody engaged and um you're right. When I do that random calling on people, I'm sometimes surprised um, by the things that people say. So that is a really good teaching tip. I like that. Yeah. Cool. Teach like a champ. Okay. I'll check it out. Cool. Thanks everybody for listening. Ben, thank you. And we will talk to you soon. Great. Yeah.
0: See ya.